Hello, Ryerson. You're listening to Blue and Gold. From the Ryersonian, I'm your host, Alex Sear. Any Ryerson student who walks into the Mattamy Athletic Center this year is met with an unsettling silence. The cheers of crowds, the squeaking sneakers, and the echoes of slap shots that usually punctuate a November weekday inside the MAC are absent, and they feel like distant memories. The lack of regular games is even more debilitating for our varsity athletes. Ryerson's players entered this academic year with the hope that sports would come back as soon as possible. But on October 15th, both the Ontario University Athletics Conference and U Sports, the National Varsity Sports Governing Body, announced that all athletic events under their umbrella would be suspended until 2021. Today, we dive into what has become a forgotten world, the world of sports, to learn more about how our student athletes are staying in shape and motivated, and how they are coping with blank calendars. First, I speak with Ryersonian sports editor Daniel Centeno about how our athletes are making the most out of a year with no sports. Then, we hear from Caitlin Wilson, a fifth-year figure skater and OUA All-Star, who is learning to practice her sport in the absence of facilities. And finally, Ryersonian reporter Kobe Zucker tells us about eSports, the fastest-growing, yet most misunderstood, sport offered at Ryerson. Daniel Centeno knew what he was getting into when he was given the role of sports editor at the Ryersonian this year. In the absence of a sports season, he knew he'd have to dig a little deeper than usual for compelling stories. Despite this year's limitations, Centeno has followed our sports teams closely since September, and here he tells us how our athletes and teams are coping with the season without games, proper practices, or consistent access to facilities. Daniel. We're reporting from Ryerson, and Ryerson's a difficult place to organize things because it's right in one of the hot spots for COVID-19 in Canada, so huge restrictions in Toronto. What are some of the hurdles that our teams have been facing so far to keep practicing? Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. But yeah, for sure, the hurdles that the Ryerson Rams have been kind of dealing with right now is the fact that they don't have too many practice facilities. They have the Mattamy Athletic Center that a lot of it has been converted for the basketball team and the hockey teams. But for like the other teams that are allowed to practice, there are a lot of places off campus or places affiliated with the campus that they're allowed to go to. And right now, um, President Mohamed Lashemi talked about how he wants to keep that going for the athletes, despite the fact that there are no games forthcoming. However, he said that this is entire voluntary and this is up to the teams and the players of how comfortable they feel coming downtown, no matter where they're commuting from. A lot of them, I know, decided not to live downtown this semester. And yeah, it's, it's all up to them whether or not they feel that they feel safe, which, you know, the, the Shemi talked about how they continue to make sure all the guidelines that the Rams are, are um, following have to do with Toronto public health. So yeah, it's up to the players whether or not they want to come in. But 
the same time, I think it is a pretty pretty consistent. Like the teams are actually all doing their practices. They're staying socially distant as much as they can, and they they are trying to just stay game ready, no matter no matter what happens. And you've been reporting around all sports teams this year. Um, what are some of the teams that have been the most hard hit by this? I'm thinking hockey, basketball. Uh, what's what's your impression on that so far? Um, for me, and I think coming to Ryerson last year and covering all these teams, I think it's been more of the narrative aspect of it. I think it's a great time right now to be with Ryerson, to be a Rams fan. Like they had so many teams that made the playoffs and a lot of storylines that I felt that there was that momentum they wanted to bring in for this season. For example, like the volleyball team and like the hockey team, the men's hockey team, like these were dominant teams that unfortunately they were kind of upset in the playoffs and they wanted to kind of bring in that momentum this year and try to compete for a championship again. Or we see things with like the women's hockey team or the men's basketball team where, you know, things were not looking too good in January and February. And then they go on these long, winning streaks that you know they sneak into the playoffs and then they they make a good run at it um definitely like when I got to talk to a uh, Carly Clark the uh, head coach of the women's team she talked about how they're just staying game ready and they're doing a lot of things that they would have done if you know again they were competing for a championship and now that they have the time to do this with no games they're trying to fix things see what could work for next season and you know like in a way like one thing was like when I asked them before the OUA um, games were canceled, a lot of the coaches were saying like, we're not going to make a decision. We're just going to keep focusing. Like it's just like any other season, but now that the season's done, I think that they still want to keep that momentum going because you know, it is really unfortunate. Like they are hard hit hard by this. Like, because a lot of these, a lot of these teams too, like they, it's not like they were just starting out to be competitive. They had that core going where like, you know, they had these like second, third or fourth year people that, you know, they had a lot of eligibility there. So that chemistry was there and they want to keep it going. So you mentioned the women's volleyball team, the men's hockey team, the men's basketball team. Looks like those three teams were perhaps the front runners to try to contend for medals on the youth sports level. And these are all team sports. And now we know that the uh, the restrictions in Toronto, uh, you can have, I think, a maps, maximum of 10 people indoors right now. Mm. What are some of those creative ways that uh, these teams are, are practicing? Because, of course, it's not just staying in individual good fitness. It's, it's working as a team as well. Yeah. Um, so the way they're kind of dealing with this is I got to talk to Josh Kim. He is a photographer for the Ryerson Rams and Ryerson Athletics. Um, he spoke about how right now the Mac is using a skeleton crew to limit the amount of people that are there. Um, they screen a lot of people coming into the Mac to see what they can do. And in terms of like those practices, I know that here and there they've been closed off depending on what Toronto Public Health has talked about. But he's saying how certain drills have to be done that, you know, to keep the, like to minimize the contact. Um, a lot of, a lot of the coaches have not really kind of been close to each other. They've had the masks on during the practices. You could see that on like Rams Twitter and I guess they facilitate from a distance, but they're doing as much as they can. I know that the only consistent I've heard have been basketball and hockey and in terms of like volleyball or, you know, wrestling or like swimming, I haven't really heard too much about that or whether or not like they're allowed to practice. 
Yeah, I guess I know a sport like swimming or cross country, for example, it's really something that you can do on your own, but as a team now with those restrictions, that must mean that they have to go in, in shifts. Cause you can't like say a hockey team, for example, you have a team of 20, you can't have 20 people in the, in the Mac right now. Is that right? Yeah, they've been doing things in shifts, um, a few drills here and there. And what I spoke about before was since a lot of these athletes are not living near campus or they decided to go back to, you know, some of them who are going back to like Northern Ontario, for example, or like other areas that, you know, they, some say like to more rural areas where a lot of like being game ready, they said the onus is on them where they'll have like maybe like the one or two weekly practices, but at the same time, like since the restrictions are not as strict where they are, um, especially Northern Ontario, they have their own personal gym. They have areas like, I guess right now where a lot of them said they're taking advantage of the weather to just work out outside. And that's how they've been kind of staying consistent. Um, They said like, it's all about that mental focus. They want to keep going, especially now that they feel that it's a bit more normalized now where they really haven't felt this in a long time where it's really like they're just doing class right now. They're just actually having like a regular schedule they actually took on the full course load so for them it's just a bit more of that adjustment where they said like it's a more of an individual effort at ryerson um even though there's been a whole lot of restrictions in toronto some athletes seem to have done some pretty good things this year and, and have been making some headlines what are a few of those stories that perhaps have flown under the radar so andrew mullen signing a professional contract for lacrosse like the former rams hockey uh, hockey player um taylor Dupuis, uh he was the goaltender last year for the men's team and he signed a professional contract in france one one player uh was tenor nangom he was the center for the rams last year he actually signed with florida state university i'm not sure when that the ncaa is going to start but yeah that was definitely a huge thing because a big storyline for him the last two years was he actually declared for the nba draft uh, two years ago out of Ryerson. So that was a huge thing. Um, he withdrew his name, but you know, that's still a huge thing where a guy that kind of felt that he could come out of a, come out of like a development uh, system like the Rams could actually compete in the NBA. I know he accredits that a lot to the former head coach, Roy Rana, who's the assistant coach now for the Sacramento Kings. And one thing that I actually like, I actually got to talk to him recently is Tyler Sagel. So he is coming from the NCAA and he actually came back to come home. He's coming home. He came from Hamilton, Ontario, and he's coming back to, you know, probably be the starting shooting guard for the Rams, you know, a team that already had championship ambitions that, you know, they're always making the U sport tournaments and, you know, it just kind of boasts the team. Um, I know that he, he knows a few players from it when he played, um, when he played in the OSBA prior to going to university. So it's a pretty exciting time right now. Like, like these little narratives here and there, even though there's no games. Right. And Daniel, you're, uh, you know, you're a living representation of that being a sports editor slash sports reporter in a year without sports must be so difficult, but somehow you're making it work. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, give Daniel's work a look because uh, he finds a way to keep things interesting. And thanks. uh, Thanks for coming on, Daniel. We appreciate um, you being here and finding the stories that perhaps we're not hearing this year. What does an award-winning figure skater do? 
when there are no competitions to train for. Caitlin Wilson is a fifth-year fashion design student who was nominated for Ryerson Athlete of the Year in 2019-2020. In what ended up being her last year with the Rams, she won the gold medal at the Star 10 Singles Free Skate and was named an OUA First Team All-Star. Here, Wilson tells me how she and her teammates are finding ways to stay fit and motivated as they wait for rinks to open at full capacity again. You've seen this team grow for the last four years. In your opinion, how did this year's team uh, compare to what we've seen in your time at Ryerson so far, potential-wise? So we had a lot of great potential this year. It was kind of disappointing that we didn't really get to have a season. Um, we had a lot of great girls returning and a lot of girls who were first years last year that had a lot of potential. This was really going to be their year to really show us what they can do. And the figure skating team right now has more than 10 people. So obviously you've been somewhat limited this year, even given those new rules that came out just a few days ago, you can have actually 10 people indoors. Um, but even in light of that, it sounds like you can't really hold a proper practice. So, so far, are you able to get on the ice at all? So a couple of us have gone to individual sessions, just ticket ice and whatnot, but our team isn't actually practicing as a whole. Um, Madame Athletic Center actually doesn't have any ice in at all. The uh, basketball and volleyball teams, I believe, are practicing on the arena floor just so they can spread out a little bit more. So we've kind of been limited by that. Um, everything we've been doing has been out of our own pocket. So it's just kind of hard to, A, find ice that we are allowed to walk on to. A lot of our um, skating clubs in Toronto aren't offering walk-ons for non-members. And the ones that are, are two hours out of the city by subway. Um, so it's a little bit limiting in terms of that. Yeah. We're trying. We're doing our best. <laughs> yeah. And you being a solo skater, uh, I guess that's perhaps a bit easier to coordinate things. But for your synchro team, like, is that possible at all? Do they travel in a pack and find ranks? Or? No, unfortunately. Um, a lot of the synchro teams, too, in the Skate Canada banner, they're not practicing holding on or they have to practice in shifts. So only half the team can be on the ice at one time. And because our team is a little bit spread out in terms of where we're coming from, there's not really an option for us to practice as a synchro team. And as for you, you were coming into the season on a pretty good, a pretty good streak, a pretty good tear. You, uh, you were nominated for Athlete of the Year last year at Ryerson and become, this was going to be your, your, your final senior year as a fifth year. Um, how are you staying motivated and, and fit despite not really having a place to skate? Uh, I'm trying to do some workouts at home. Um, I really like the Amanda Klutz workout videos. There's a lot of good cardio and she really incorporates abs and other strengthening, but you can do it in a really small space, which is great given that I live in a shoebox. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then just trying to be outside as much as possible while I still can. I think it's going to be a little bit harder in the winter months, but I'll make it work. Going into the winter, you're going to be finishing up your time at Ryerson this spring. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Are you planning to skate somewhere else following that? Or what are the plans for you? Maybe just for fun. I'm getting kind of old and my body's starting to hurt a little bit. So I think we got to wrap it up a little bit. <laughs> I feel that. Uh, what's, what is it like for, for figure skating for those who don't know? 
for post-varsity opportunities. You'll have some sport that it's an easy transition, but are there many opportunities for post-collegiate athletes? Not really. You have adult synchro teams and you can compete as an adult, but a lot of us, we're kind of wrapping up our career um, in competitive skating as we come into university. This is a way to keep it going just a little bit longer, um, meet some new people, still compete, but have a little less pressure than what we're used to. Um, and then once you're done varsity, all of that pressure is gone. Right, because it seems to be a very early peaking sport, just from yes. from a fan standpoint. Yes, um, most people start getting super competitive around the age of 12, um, and then you're kind of done by 20. It's so hard on your body that it's really hard to keep it going. So right now you have probably many of your peers looking up to you, and probably a lot of those athletes in that age gap between 12 and 20 and they're kind of dealing with the same thing as you, probably around Canada, maybe not so much out of Toronto. Toronto is one of the hotspots for, for the COVID restrictions. But do you have any advice for young figure skaters who are trying to navigate this moment and try to find some ice? Just stay positive and stay active. You may not be able to get on the ice. You just have to get a little bit creative. Outdoor rinks are opening up soon, hopefully, if it gets a little colder. Um, so just finding those opportunities where you can and staying active and staying positive. We'll get through it. Um, it's just a little frustrating right now. Good. And a, a PSA to finish. I saw a Zamboni drive through Young and Dundas a few days ago. Now, there's no ice, I don't think, yet. But I think that means that the winter season's coming. So hopefully we see you out on the ice soon. Hopefully. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Caitlin, for joining us today. No problem. It was fun. Finally, I speak with Kobe Zucker, the Ryersonian's eSports reporter. Zucker tells us about the new Ontario post-secondary eSports league, the growth of eSports worldwide, and the video games in which Ryerson's team specializes. Kobe Zucker... As your, uh, as per your Ryersonian author byline, you are particularly interested in sports, esports, geek culture as a whole, and healthcare. So today we're chatting esports. Thanks for being with us. First, tell me a bit uh, about esports, because in a sense, it's a bit of a strange world I find, in which those who are in it are really in it. And those who are out of it, you know, whether they did, haven't grown up with it or see it as unconventional or odd, are really out of it. Um, so for those who aren't aware uh, that Ryerson has a pretty healthy esports community, tell us a bit about what that's looked like before the pandemic. What Ryerson's esports community looked like before the pandemic? I mean, it looks a lot like it looks now. I mean, as far as stuff that's been affected by the pandemic, Ryerson's esports community is very low on the list. I mean, not a ton has changed. I mean, most they used to run events and lots of uh, social gatherings and that kind of thing, but now it's just confined to online, which I mean, there was lots of online stuff before, but now it's exclusively online, obviously. So again, not a ton has changed. They used to run these in-person events, whether they were at like a computer PC locations where they would have the gaming events and that kind of thing. Now it's just online. So yeah, the Ryerson D Sports, they obviously they organize stuff for for just everyone who's who likes esports and they'll organize stuff 
specifically for the competitive teams. And those are kind of the two sides. The, the Ryerson esports clubs are more involved with just organizing fun esports events just for, for casual people who play these video games. So it seems like it's a, it's a pretty inclusive community. And it's also a pretty broad community because you mentioned in some of your reporting that Ryerson has 11 teams. Uh, in fact, tell me a bit about some of those teams that perhaps have achieved the most success. It sounds bad to say, but Ryerson's teams aren't like breakout unreal stellar like some Ontario universities are. I mean, schools like Western and sometimes Waterloo and then UBC out West as far as Canadian universities occasionally have had streaks with incredible runs. And I'm talking mostly about like the major sports because those are the ones that people follow in terms of some of the other ones. But we... Specifically, our Valorant team, which is a, a brand new eSport because the game just came out, but it has a lot of backing and popularity. So far, that's one of the ones that's seen a lot of early success. Obviously, the eSport's still new, the team's still new, but that's probably one to look at. As far as our other teams, I mean, we've always had fleeting success. We're always competitive, but usually we're not like the team for most of the big ones. I'm talking like League of Legends and Overwatch and CSGOs. Those are kind of the, the basic esports that most people will look to when you talk about esports at the school. And tell me a bit about Valorant. So that's a first person shooter game that seems to be our specialty here. Well, yeah, Valorant is the first person shooter game. It's from the same company that makes League of Legends, which is basically the biggest esport in the world. Incredibly huge player base across the world. It's the one that's like, People think of esports, a lot of people will go to League of Legends. So that company, um, they don't make a ton of games, but they've just released Valorant, which is a first-person shooter along the lines of other big ones like Counter-Strike and Overwatch, other big first-person shooters. Uh, I mean, it just has a lot of popularity and backing just by virtue of being made by that company, and people just enjoy playing it. Ryerson put it together a team basically as soon as the game came out, almost before the game came out. And... They've been basically going to independent tournaments and just working through those circuits, and they've been doing pretty well. They've had some brushes with success. They, one of their their highlighty moments was a tournament recently. They got to play against basically one of the the big teams. In esports, teams are grouped into organizations that uh, that field different teams rather than in traditional sports where it's more 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 by city. So they got to play against one of the 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 Cloud Nines team, and they're just a big esports organization, and they did really well at that tournament. I remember watching them. So that's probably one of Ryerson's teams to to look out for, and and definitely in in the time to come. For most of the other major sports, it's still pretty early in their season, and we'll see more of that later on to get into the next semester. So it seems like Ryerson is kind of using Valorant to put its name on the map, and the next step to that would be to uh, to have some representation in the varsity department. Now, we've seen that in some other universities. University of Waterloo actually brought their esports team under their varsity department. Now, do you think we could see something like that happen at Ryerson? It's possible. So it's it's hard to pinpoint exactly because even with schools like Waterloo, esports isn't a varsity team. Like they've kind of adopted under the banner and there's a bit more support for it than at other schools, but it's still not a varsity team. If anything, it's more like 
a sport like ultimate frisbee where at most schools it's not a varsity team it's just a competitive club that's generally under their banner and that's that kind of already exists at ryerson in a way i mean they have a competitive esports club under their banner so in that way there's a connection but the, the relationship isn't really as close as you would expect like it's not as though there are esports team actively seek resources and stuff from the from the school's department and definitely they're not offered so there's kind of that disconnect in the future i think personally that's going to happen at some point in the future there's going to be some kind of a connection there's going to be more support for esports teams it's probably a pessimistic view in my mind but i don't think that's going to happen too soon uh if it does happen but again it's just a it's just a continuous process to get more recognition for the for esports teams and yeah that'll happen but it's further down the line there are other ways of integrating esports with the school i've talked with dr chris alexander's the ryerson prof and he's always looking at uh, fcad and multimedia and how to integrate esports there but yeah most people will look at um the the school's athletic departments as the big one and just trying to push to get more esports recognition within those Right. And for now, you wonder if some of these esports teams even want to, to kind of go full varsity side because they seem to have their own league, um, the OPSE, Ontario Post-Secondary Esports, which seems to be way more lucrative than esports. I saw there was $24,000 in scholarships given to league winners, which is something that we don't see on the esports side. Can you talk a bit about that league? It seems quite exciting. Yeah. The OPSE specifically is brand new. Uh, it's kind of following generally a map of other collegiate esports leagues. There aren't a ton, but one of the other big ones is Collegiate Star League CSL, where it does the same thing. It provides a bunch of esports to specifically collegiate teams. Uh, OPSE does the same thing, except it's way more specific and localized. It's just for Ontario, and it's just uh, focusing on those uh, athletic banners. So it's talking about the Ryerson Rams, the Queen Scales. It's just trying to be a bit more integrative. As terms of, in terms of being lucrative, I mean, those cash prizes are only for the teams that actually are winning. So it's really like one school per usually. I mean, the League of Legends, they have their own league specifically associated with the company and that's also has a prize pool attached to it they're not making a ton of money from this. And this is in lieu of, of potential scholarships right now, because most Ontario schools don't offer esports scholarships, unlike some specific colleges in the States. So whereas traditional sports athletes are going to get these scholarships and that's going to kind of pay their way through the university or at least help esports athletes, that's not going to happen for them, at least not right now in Ontario. So these small cash prizes or sometimes larger cash prizes, if you're, the creme de la creme, if you're the best of the best at, at this specific esport, it's a nice replacement, but really they don't expect to make a ton of money about this. And I think, again, you'd, I'm, if you asked most esports athletes at universities, I think they would prefer to have that recognition within the, the school over these relatively minor cash prizes. You, you may want to ask somebody who's at one of these schools who are consistently placing and getting money, but I think that's generally the consensus. So although the, those prizes may disappear, but I think they could still work out a way to, to stay. I think the general consensus is they prefer either recognition and scholarship money over these independent tournaments that have prize pools. Right. You raise a good point. You know, the absence of, of prize money in U sports, it's made up for with a bunch of entrance scholarships. That is a good point. Um, last question for you. What kind of caliber 
do we have at Ryerson, perhaps on an individual level? One thing that I think is exciting about esports is that there seems to be a lot of professional and semi-professional opportunities and the, the barrier of entry is kind of unknown given that a lot of it is online. Um, have you come across some athletes here at Ryerson that perhaps have some sort of aspiration of, of doing this post-collegiately as well? In short, it's not that sexy of an answer, but no. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm st- I don't know all the Ryerson esports athletes and it's possible that one will come up. One thing about esports is, yes, there's a low barrier to entry, but unlike traditional sports, esports kind of look for players younger. There's kind of this weird consensus where you hit your peak closer to like 18 or 17 in esports, like when you have incredible reaction time and your physical state isn't as important as traditional sports. So generally, the players who are the the best of the best and who want to make a go of making a career of this actually don't go to university, or if they do, they drop out early, or it's just, it seems to trend that way there aren't many esports athletes who would go through a four-year university or college degree and then look for uh, pro aspirations that's not to say they don't exist it's just very uncommon and you're talking about a tiny percentage of people just like in traditional sports you're talking like the top 0.5 percent of the player base or the people who are going to go pro or semi-pro and then you're adding to the fact that college and universities aren't really scouting grounds for those because a lot of these people get into it earlier Again, that's another thing that may change in the future. Specifically, I know in League of Legends, their 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 league, their college league, they kind of want to use that as a bit of a scouting ground for people to go pro or semi-pro. Again, that that's kind of its own unique example, and I don't know if that's going to be widespread. So there are good players at Ryerson, people who may go semi-pro, or, and again, there are semi, somewhat low barriers to entry, so they can play with these professionals in certain cases. But... I can't think of any standout player who's like the the hotshot, definitely going to go pro, just get this person signed already. I don't think there's anybody like that. Well, uh, Kobe Zucker, thanks, uh, thanks again for joining us today. Was, uh, no problem. And uh, we're going to look out for the teams in the future. Here's what else we're covering this week. Cole Broxham reports on the Policy Studies PhD program's latest speaker series session, featuring Bill Fletcher, a civil rights and labor activist. Fletcher will be speaking on what the future holds for democracy in the United States. Subi Andadaraja profiles Mom's Kitchen, a pay-as-you-feel food delivery service in Toronto, cooked by immigrant and refugee women chefs. Andadaraja finds out how the community-run initiative is adapting to COVID-19 and preparing for the future. Finally, Josh Scott and myself speak to Ryerson professors to learn about how they plan on dealing with the risk of cheating as exam season approaches. That's all for this week's Blue and Gold. Thanks a lot for listening. Catch up with us next week for more of your community's top stories. Blue and Gold is a production of the Ryersonian and Ryerson School of Journalism. I'm your host, Alex Sear, and our executive producers are Jasmine Ratch, Najur Al-Maliz, and Sidra Jaffrey. Our editor-in-chief is Patrick Swadden, and our managing editor is Michelle Allen. Our instructors are Peter Baker-George and H.G. Watson. Until next time.